Hello and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am Anthony Livingston Hall. You probably thought the 2020 US presidential election would never end, but it has. Joe Biden is the president-elect of the United States. Unfortunately, I fear his victory will be Pyrrhic and the legal challenges already underway will be the least of it. After all, the Republican members of Trump's cult performed so well that Trumpism will live on, flailing across the political landscape like a chicken with its head cut off. Meanwhile, a President Biden with a Republican-controlled Senate will be little more than a figurehead, you know, like the Queen of England with a Parliament over which she wields little to no influence, because congressional results are such that Trump will continue to control every Republican member of Congress, functioning like a shadow president. Except that, as it was with so many of his high crimes and misdemeanors, he'll be doing so in broad daylight. Well, on Twitter at any rate. Incidentally, not so long ago, everyone had to kiss Rush Limbaugh's big fat ass to solemnify their baptism and to remain in good standing in the Republican Party. Now, everyone has to kiss not only Trump's big fat ass, but his brass ring too. Indeed, reports are that he is already planning to launch a cable TV station to supplant Fox News as the party's propaganda machine. This, as soon as Biden kicks him out of the White House by noon on January 20, 2021. But, truth be told, what the presidential elections of 2016 and 2020 say about America has truly shaken my faith in American democracy. And, as I've stated elsewhere, it will take New York state prosecutors trying and convicting Trump on everything from tax evasion to sexual assault to restore any measure of that faith. Because unless they do so, Trump will be able to marshal forces to undermine Biden's presidency 100 times more than Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell did so infamously to undermine Obama's. Whatever the case, the point is that America today is a country as divided against itself as it was in the years before the Civil War. Its enemies need only stand by and watch the fall. Significantly, those enemies are purportedly communist countries that are poised to reap the fulfillment of Karl Marx's maxim about capitalist countries containing the seeds of their own destruction. But think about this, folks. Nearly half of the American people are perfectly happy with a plainly mendacious, narcissistic, heartless, xenophobic, incompetent, sexist, reckless, homophobic, racist, COVID-denying con man as president. Otherwise, I'm sure he's a nice guy. And having failed to re-elect him, they now seem hell-bent on injecting his dystopian values into the American DNA, the welfare of the country, to say nothing of the offense to fellow Americans. Be damned. So much for the restoration of normalcy hoped for. It's give me tribalism. 
or give me death. But enough mourning about the sublime fate of American democracy, because this talk is really about dissing the ridiculous state of British monarchy. You see, I am convinced that dissing the fairy tale lives of the British royal family is just what the doctor ordered. This to help us flow into a state of post-election namaste. So here goes. For those of you who might be unaware, my blog is replete with commentaries denouncing royalty and all of its presumptions, perks, and appurtenances. Foremost, because royalty is anathema to the universal principle that all people are created equal. But any democracy that perpetuates royalty in the 21st century is almost as cancerous and oxymoronic as any that perpetuated slavery in the 19th. Prince Charles famously decreed that modern architecture is an eyesore on the skyline of London which needs to be demolished. But I humbly submit that British royalty is an eyesore on the landscape of modern society which needs to be abolished. The most compelling justification Britons offer to sustain their monarchy is that it is good for the economy. <laughs> that should be damning enough. After all, this is the same justification Southerners offered to maintain their institution of slavery. I readily concede that my British colonial background informs my anti-royalist views. This, for example, is why I denounced royal marriages after Prince Charles went from consorting with Camilla while on honeymoon with Princess Diana to marrying Camilla after driving Diana not only crazy but to her death. I did this in a royal marriage worthy of King Henry VIII on February 17, 2005. I condemned royal greed after Sophie Countess of Wessex and Sarah, Duchess of York, prostituted their royal status to Arab sheikhs for easy money. I did this in Princess Michael of Kent embarrasses the British royal family again on September 7, 2005. I ridiculed royal pretensions after reports exposed nouveau riche throughout the British Commonwealth, who paid common bribes for royal titles. I did this in, pardon me, sir, but how much did you pay for your knighthood? On July 14, 2007. And I pitied royal desuetude, after royalists began calling for the Queen to abdicate, not to make Charles, but his son William King. I did this in, abdicating by any other name, would betray the same, on January 7, 2019. I could go on, but you get the point. This is why I'm going to focus on the Mexit scandal, which I think will affirm, perhaps even vindicate, my abiding views. While they were negotiating their Mexit, Harry and Meghan made clear their intent to use their royal status to make millions, if not billions. No doubt their imperial delusions had them thinking they would make even the Kardashians look like principled paupers when it comes to parlaying social media influence into cold, hard cash. 
and that mega deal they signed with Netflix to promote their brand and some causes too, could only have reinforced their sense of grandeur and entitlement. Except that, if either one of them had just a pinch of humility, they would have seen the Queen's ban on using the Sussex royal brand as a bad omen, because this meant that they could not have their cake and eat it too. <laughs> Simply put, these royal grifters wanted to reap all the benefits of selling themselves as royals, but suffer none of the burdens of having to perform like other members of the royal family. Meanwhile, no matter how rich they become, it will eventually dawn on Harry and Meghan that their royal status is the only thing that distinguishes them in a tinsel town populated with even richer celebrities. What's more, they will soon realize that the novelty of their status is diminishing in value with each day they remain in exile. This is bound to undermine their intent to hold royal court while living here. No doubt their imperial delusions had them thinking that American celebrities would show them even greater deference than British celebrities show the Queen herself. Except that, if either one of them had just a sense of history, they would have seen the way American celebrities treated exiled Edward VIII and that woman, Wallace Simpson, as a portent of even worse treatment for them. After all, Edward was king, whereas Harry is no longer even the spare. Wallace was elegant and supremely intriguing, whereas Meghan is just impudent and typically boring. As it happens, in a January 9 commentary, which I titled, Harry and Meghan Scheming to be more A-list celebrities than B-list royals, I presage not only Hollywood's snub, but the Queen's ban too. For starters, I noted that Britons will feel about Meghan breaking up the royals the way they felt about Yoko Ono breaking up the Beatles. Of course, I readily conceded that Harry is no John Lennon. More to the point, I warned that Without his royal title and official duties, Harry will just be a balding redhead suffering a premature midlife crisis, which in due course would have Meghan looking for a more suitable Prince Charming. I also warned that both he and Meghan were in for a rude awakening for planning to monetize their royalty the way the Kardashians do their celebrity because even I could see that the Queen bowing to a dead Diana was one thing, but bowing to these scheming upstarts would strip her of what little awe and reverence she has left. This is why I am not at all surprised that the freedom, quote-unquote, they negotiated is not living up to their royal fantasies. To be sure, as reports indicate, Meghan is thrilled to be living like a queen, with all perks and privileges, but no duties or responsibilities. But I am mindful that delusions of grandeur misled her to think she could succeed where Princess Diana failed in remaking the royal family in her progressive image. After all, that turned out so well, she has hightailed it back to America with a prince 
without a country in tow. <laughs> I suspect similar delusions are misleading her to think that she and Harry can now rise to the top of the A-list in Hollywood and on social media. Meanwhile, Megan seems regally unaware that Harry is flapping about like a fish out of water, but reports abound about him struggling with the adjustment. This included the Observer observing on June 29 that he was even sharing wistful concerns with his brother William, which included complaints about the lack of privacy and security. No doubt you recall that overreaction to tabloid intrusions caused his mother's death. Therefore, it does not bode well that similar intrusions are already bothering him. After all, his issues will only become far more challenging once America, with its predatory paparazzi, emerges from COVID hibernation. But I suspect it's really abandoning comrades and country that is eating away, not only at his conscience, but at his manhood too. This, especially given that the father of a British soldier, who protected him in Afghanistan, is leading a chorus of Britons now denouncing him as a deserter. In fact, a former British army chief published an open letter just last month, pleading for Harry to return home, because the veterans really need him. Yet, shock and dismay over abandonment of his military family pales in comparison with the same over abandonment of his royal family. As it happens, royal biographer Robert Lacey has just written about this with Shakespearean pathos in his new book, Battle of Brothers, William, Harry, and the Inside Story of a Family in Tumult. According to the Daily Mail, his book picks apart this sibling rivalry in excruciating detail. But suffice it to know that the only member of the royal family who has any interest in welcoming Harry, let alone Meghan, back into the firm, is the forlorn queen herself. And she will surely be heartbroken that grandson Harry and great-grandson Archie will not be coming home for Christmas. This clearly adds credence to speculation that, just as the Beatles never got back together, the Fab Four of Harry and Meghan, William and Kate, are never ever getting back together. In the meantime, Harry and Meghan can blame COVID-19 for keeping them holed up in splendid isolation. But this is only delaying the inevitable, when Hollywood royalty begins treating them as nothing more than B-list celebrities, because nothing telegraphed, what little gravitas these British royals really have, quite like reports about Harry and Meghan giving George and Amal Clooney a prime pew at their wedding ceremony, only to have the Cloonies confess to other guests that they had never even met their newlyweds. I mean, think about that, folks. What would it say about you if the most popular couple at your wedding was telling other guests that they don't even know you? 
But here too, nobody should have been surprised. After all, I called this out in real time. In my commentary, Harry marries Meghan in historic swirling of the British royal family on May 20, 2018. Specifically, I cited reliable sources who revealed that the few Hollywood A-listers who showed up were there more because of William and Kate than Harry and Meghan. I also cited common knowledge that Meghan was no latter-day Grace Kelly, because before she began dating Harry, she was a B-lister who couldn't get an invitation to the Academy Awards, let alone the famed post-Oscar parties where A-listers schmooze and unwind. In other words, Meghan earned her professional and social status the old-fashioned way. She married it. What's more, though, the lily-white world Meghan lived in was such that I was constrained to advise against being fooled by the black bishop and the black choir she hired to perform at the church. Because of the hundreds she invited to attend the reception, you could count the blacks on the fingers of one hand, and everyone knew that Harry invited at least two of them. Ironically enough, not since George married Amal had a purportedly cosmopolitan celebrity wedding been so white. And yes, I heaped scorn on their wedding too. In my commentary, Cluny nuptials show Saturday weddings as segregated as Sunday services on September 27, 2014. But the foreboding irony is that the Clooney's and other A-list celebrities will undoubtedly be far more interested in hobnobbing with A-list royals in London than in hanging out with B-list royals in Hollywood. That said, you've probably noticed Meghan making moves to rival AOC as the poster girl for the racial grievances of BLM protesters and the woke politics of millennial progressives. This even has Duchess Meghan and Prince Harry lecturing Americans on the evils of systemic racism. But talk about biting the hand that feeds you. I mean, it's as if they have no clue that their very royal lives are based on systemic racism. Hell, their tone deafness is even more farcical than B-best Melania Trump lecturing Americans on the evils of lying and bullying. In any event, British royals continue to affirm the title to a commentary I wrote on April Fool's Day way back in 2005, namely, Royalty is not what it used to be, not even in America. And with that I say, Fairy tales can come true, but it won't happen to you if you're a scheming tart. Your white prince will be blue when he sees that royalty is all that moves your heart. <laughs> Sorry, Megan. Uh, that's it, and if you liked it, please subscribe. It's free. If you'd like to contact me, I invite you to email anthonyhall279 at gmail.com or use the contact feature on my blog at www.ipjn.com. Thank you for listening, and until the next Talking Opinions, goodbye.